take over doubt, we gon' make it Show the world that I shine in our greatness Keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Taking off, flying high like a spaceship Alright, welcome back everybody, this is Danny from Shake the Earth Podcast Got a cool cat today on Spence Checkets, you probably recognize his name He was all over uh, the local news here in Utah Had You were on the, sh- the zone, right? You had your own show? Yeah, for how yeah. long? Um, I was on the zone for seven, almost seven years, doing afternoon drive and then jazz pre and post. So the big show in the afternoon and then pre and post game coverage for um, all the jazz games. You are probably one of the most um, just like fanatical basketball fans I've ever met. Oh yeah, I love the game. I mean, I grew up in the game and we all like our refuge, right? We all like our areas where we can find just peace and it feels comfortable and watching NBA basketball is still that thing for me. I mean, on the way down here, I just read a, a column about Jim Dolan, and then I was listening to a podcast with LeBron James. Like, still day to day, I consume the NBA all day in every way, shape, or form. How many games in a, in a season do you watch or listen to or oh, participate man. in? At my height, um, you're saying you, you, you've come down a little bit. Is what you're saying? Well, I mean, I mean, as of late, when you're not on air every day, it's a little bit different. Yeah, and it's actually kind of nice. I can watch games as a fan. But when it was really my job to break down games day after day, my routine, if I didn't have a jazz game, is I'd go home and from about six o'clock to about 9.30 or 10, I would just fire up League Pass and go back and forth with any game that I wanted to watch. And then I would record two or three key games. And after I was done flipping back and forth, I'd go back through the DVR and I'd watch the games that I had recorded and I would take notes and chart them. So I'd be ready to talk about them the next day. So how many games in a so, calendar year? I have nine, hundreds, man, hundreds. That's a ton of time. Yeah. But yeah. you grew up in that. We were talking about that before the podcast. Your dad was the youngest and still is the youngest basketball executive in the history of like franchise sports, right? Yeah. When I was five years old, my uh, father took a job or took the job as uh, president of the Utah Jazz. Dave president Checkets. of the Utah Jazz. If you're from Utah, you've heard the name, you've heard the, the last name Checkets and, and uh, Spence is the son of Dave Checkets, who brought RSL as well to Utah. Yeah, yeah, right? my, my uh, father has done a lot. Um, I like to say he's done as much for sports across this marketplace as anybody else. And I don't think there's any exceptions to that. Now that's debatable. You know, yeah. there's certainly a lot of names you could bring up there, but he's always loved Utah. With the RSL thing, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, Don Garber, sought him out and and, and um, there was mutual interest to own a soccer franchise and MLS wanted the franchise to be in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, I'll come on board, but it has to be in Salt Lake. And that was in what, 2004? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But at 27, he, he was named president of the Jazz and I was only five years old. So it's kind of all I know. You grew up on the court with these guys. I grew up on the court. I grew up in locker rooms. I was a ball boy when I was young. I loved, and I would beg just to go to practices or shoot around. Like I wanted to consume all of it. I wanted to see what these athletes were like, you know, talk to the coaches and just be around the game because when I wasn't watching, I was playing. Like I loved everything about basketball ever since I was, I was young and growing up with a father who was in the business was, was awesome in a lot of ways. You follow the sports career, but you go a different route, right? You, you become a commentator, uh, kind of a host of, of a few different shows. Uh, you got a huge following. A, a lot of people know and follow your, your show. Uh, things are going really well uh, for you. And, and, and then all of a sudden I see your name in the news on yep. the 26th of, was it 26th of February? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you, you and I talked, oh, well, I talked to your brother, Nate, who I'm good friends with. Um, we're going to have him on the podcast. And he said, Hey, you need to have Spence on. I was like, well, I remember Spence. He probably doesn't remember me, but, uh, 
substance abuse. Yeah. And um, you recently, what, in February, got picked up for, D, was it DUI? Yep, DUI. Mm-hmm. Sentenced to five days in jail? Yep. Is that right? Spend, yeah, spend five days in jail. And so I want to I talk a little bit about that because a lot, of our, a lot of our listeners can relate to that. They have family or friends or they themselves are going through that. But um, you go from this high, I mean, you've got a huge following locally, I think international or nationally as well to probably the lowest moment in your life. Well, um, it, it was among the lowest moments of my life, but it, it really has been a great lesson for me in a lot of ways. I, I still can't believe it happened. And, and one, of the, one of the things about um, people that are mired in drug and alcohol addiction is if, if, if you get lost in it like I was, you know, to the point where you think you're okay, but really you're not. And it's like most everything else. You don't know how bad it is until you step out of it. And then you can look from a detached point and say, holy smokes, I was in a bad spot. In so many ways, I'm grateful for that police officer who pulled me over. I needed to find a way out of where I was at. Um, and I'm, I, I pray to God every day to give thanks that I didn't hurt anybody and I didn't yeah. hurt myself, that I was not in an accident because the end game there could have been a lot worse. Yeah. But, but one of the things that it, ha- it has done for my life is, you know, I got into recovery. I spent 45 days in inpatient rehabilitation. Where, was, was that here in Utah? Or it was, was here that? in Utah. It's Cirque and Sundance. Okay. And then, yeah, I had to spend the five days in jail. During that time frame, I met so many people who were legitimately good, kind people who try to do good things, who are good to other people, who are brothers, who are sons, who are mothers, who are fathers, who are friends. Like the problem with the way we treat addiction in this country is we think it's in the dark shadows behind alleys, you know, in Pioneer Park downtown and homeless people that don't know how to find their way to, you know, back to regular functionality. It's your family members, you know, it's your friend. It, it, is, it is next door. It is in your neighborhood. You know, as I was kind of going through my own thing and processing what had just happened and really all that, that, that my personal battle with, with alcohol cost me, because as you mentioned, I mean, it was kind of, I went from this, this really dream job working with guys who I loved, working for a team that I, I had known since I was young and really enjoying what I do to sacrificing everything in the name of this addiction that I have not been, that up until now, I had not, had not been able to get my head around. You know, it, how, it, how long had you been kind of suffering with addiction? You know, it's, it's, it's a good question because like everything else, and there's so much impermanence in life. Yeah. You know, life is just cyclical. And when I look back, I mean, I had my first drink when I was 16 years old. Um, but there, there were times in my life where I wasn't drinking. And there are times in my life where I was drinking the way normal people who drink, drink. But really for the past three years or so, I would say two and a half, three years, I went from, yeah, I can have a drink occasionally with a buddy or have a beer occasionally with a buddy to, oh my gosh, like autopilot coming home and just pouring a drink without even really thinking about it. It became part of my daily routine to the point where I was just, I was making bad relationship decisions. I was surrounding myself with people that, that in retrospect were just not good for me. I was kind of detached personally from responsibilities that I needed to be more engaged in. How, how was the relationship with your family? Because your dad is, is uh, he's a pretty high profile guy. Were you kind of sure. withdrawing while you were doing this because you didn't want to have a negative stigma on your family or, or what was that like? Well, the, w- when, when you're mired in addiction, um, and I'm a, I'm a believer in the addiction as a disease model, as somebody who's experienced this, because really, and there's a whole science behind it. 
that I don't think we need to get into here as far as your brain functionality and chemistry and the midbrain and survival and what happens when you activate an addiction. It becomes a, necess- a necessary part of your daily routine just to survive. Yeah. But isolation is an inevitable part of pretty much any addiction and certainly an embarrassing one. Because there's shame, right? Right, and people right. Talk about and, shame. And, and by embarrassing one, I simply mean I'm not embarrassed to stand up and say I'm an alcoholic in recovery. And one of the reasons I speak out about it the way I do is the stigma that is like, we have to find a way to change the way we talk about this, man. Like these societal taboos, the stigmas attached to it, because you mentioned the term, the shame part of it, the guilt part of it leads to isolation and isolation. When you're disconnected from people who you care about and who care about you, then, then you just throw yourself into the addiction even more and the drinking and, and, and drugs or whatever your thing is. That's all you want to do. And so you detach yourself from reality in order to chase a drink or chase a drug because ultimately it's like anything else, okay? You just want to escape the way you're feeling. You know, whether it's you made poor choices or you're in an unhealthy relationship or you hate your job or whatever it is, you want to find a momentary respite from that feeling. And drugs and alcohol work. They'll numb your feelings and they'll turn them off right quick. And so that's really what I started to do. I started to just exist to work and then come home and numb. And that was kind of my whole existence. And it ceased becoming even fun kind of at all, because here's, here's the situation. Like, and anyone out, out here who has used alcohol or drugs in a way to numb feelings can probably relate to this. When you first start doing it, it's fun. You know, it's enjoyable. You're with your friends, you're having and, a good time. And it's probably pretty effective at helping you numb. It's a good point because drugs and alcohol work. That's yeah. the dangerous part about drugs and alcohol. They work. Now, when, if, if, you're, if your mind is wired the wrong way and if you don't keep it in check, they cause absolute chaos. Okay, but it goes from fun to fun with problems and then only problems, only problems. And that's kind of where I got to. Like, I wasn't engaging with friends socially to the point where we were having a good time and going out and having a few drinks. Like, I was isolated in my house I was working. Did, did any of your coworkers notice what was going on? No. And, and, and here's why. You know, when I, when I got into recovery and when I was up at Cirque and Treatment, one of the first things they ask you is, did your, how did your addiction affect your work? And I can honestly tell you it didn't. I didn't drink at work. I didn't show up at work drunk. Um, I, you, know, you know, I took my job very seriously. I prepared for my show. I was present. I, I, I would like to think I had a good relationship with all my coworkers. And they were just as floored as everybody else because one thing I was able to compartmentalize is it's time to go to work. Yeah. So go in, do your job, and then come home and numb. Like, unfortunately, that was the vortex that I found myself like devolving into. And in retrospect, looking back, like getting pulled over that night was the best thing that really ever happened to me. So one question I've got is, is you got pulled over on the 26th. Mm-hmm. You were speeding, going pretty fast. Yep. Um, probably not the first time you were speeding going fast under the influence prior to that. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, a lot of people will reach out to me and say that could have been me so easily. I was drinking the other night and, but you know, it, it, it doesn't matter, you know, like just because you're the one that got caught doesn't make it any less or more severe. Like it's just simply a really selfish thing to do. And, and, you know, when I look at it, and try to kind of make sense of it, I have to let it go because it makes zero sense. But, but here's the scary thing. Like you can, you know, you get to a point where you kind of break into autopilot and it wasn't, you know, people have this thought like, oh, you know, you're just drinking like crazy and you just wanted to go cause havoc. Like, no, I just wanted to go home. 
but the fact that I did that and put other people, people's lives at dan- in danger and put my life in danger too is a big, big alarm. You know, it's an, an alarm going off like something's wrong. Why would you do this? It's just a situation where in order to move on from it, I just have to say, I'm so grateful there was no accident. I'm so grateful I didn't hurt anybody else. And I'm so grateful I didn't hurt myself. And I'm sorry, a, a thousand times I'm sorry for putting other people's lives in danger. Because the fact of the matter is this, there are a lot of people who have lost loved ones because of drunk driving accidents. And when you get pulled over for, pulled over for a DUI and you have a public personality, yeah. you become a face to them for something that's happened to them that's really sad. Yeah. And they take their anger out on you. And I and totally they, get they it. They want to beat you up. Yeah. Like I, you probably know because you're very public profile. I just did a Google search. Sure. And you have a Reddit thread on you, right? And some of like 50% were, hey, love the guy, love his show, love everything he's done. And then the other 50% are like, can't believe he would ever do this. I right. can't believe he would ever, you know, selfishly compromise other people. And you have this, you're, you're absolutely right. You like, you elicit these emotions and you become the bad guy for sure. everything else that's ever happened, you know, publicly or, or privately to these people. You had the dream job. You had access to really any professional basketball player, athlete here in Utah. Was there ever a moment where you're like, I'm going to lose this all if I keep going down this route? Or was it, I don't care. Like I'm going to, I'm really, I'm willing to risk all of that because I've got this problem that I'm, I'm hiding. Yeah. It, it was never, I don't care. And, and when it comes to um, being lost in, in an addiction where you're simply numbing yourself to any sort of outside feeling or emotion, you never think that far ahead. Okay. Where you say to yourself, I'm going okay. to lose all of this if I keep going. What I will say is I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in a bad spot because it came to a point where um, there were often times where I had to drink just to kind of get through things to numb like physical sensations. And then I, then I knew, I thought to myself, like, this is bad, man. I'm not 21 anymore. You know, I'm, I'm now, I'm a middle-aged guy and my health is going to deteriorate if, if I'm not careful. Um, but you, you never think in terms of, and this is the insanity of the, of the disease, because truly it is an in, insane proposition, because you never think in terms of, if I don't stop this, I'm going to lose X, Y, and Z. So you actually never get to that point. No, because you're really, it's just like a fight or flight mentality. You just want to get through the day. Yeah, That's all. You just want to get through the day. Um, and it's a hard thing for people to understand that maybe haven't struggled with that because you, you now, I mean, you lost your job, sure. right? you resigned right. shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably lost a lot of opportunities that you had at the time mm-hmm. that, that again, had you been able to step back and, and with a, with a moment of clarity, say, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm risking this immediate satisfaction to be able to numb myself with, you know, 10 years of employment or, or being able to have the dream job that you've always wanted to. Right. No, you, you don't think that far. You really don't. Uh, at no point over the past few years, did I think to myself, if I don't cut this out, I'm going to lose everything in life. There were, there were several times where I said, you know, I really need to figure this out. You know, this is not working for me. Like my life isn't nearly as fulfilling as it should be. I have friends and family who love me. I have a good job. Why am I not more fulfilled? Yeah. In retrospect, I was clear, clearly trying to escape something, you know, it, because if I was satisfied and happy, then I would have just been able to continue my day-to-day existence without any disruption. But I don't know what you want to call it as far as, as finding a different path in life, finding a different you know, whatever the next direction is like, I clearly wasn't happy with my life one way or the other, or else yeah. I wouldn't have been doing what I was doing. 
and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have engaged in the type of selfish actions that that I did that ultimately led me to get in trouble with the law and, and lose my job and lose a lot of respect from a lot of people who listened to me for a lot of years. I did not know there was a Reddit thread because here's the thing. I don't Google search myself and I don't read a lot of the stuff that's thrown at me because I don't take things personally. Because like I said, I understand yeah. why people are mad at me. Like I'll have people say, well, did you see this guy online say that? Or why would people say this? And I can't believe they think this about you. And I'm like, look, I broke the law. I made the mistake. Ownership. I, I am accountable for my life situation. Yeah. Okay. I am responsible for my life situation. I, I, nobody else. Okay. And who are you to judge that person that's mad at me? Maybe his mother was killed by a drunk driver. And if I was that guy, I'd be mad at me too. And then it's, well, you didn't get an accident. I'm like, I know. And thank goodness I didn't, but I certainly could have. So I think human decency ultimately wins out. Yeah. And I like to believe that most people are supportive, but the people that are angry, I don't take it personally, nor do I judge because who knows what sort of experience they've had in the past. And maybe they're just taking it out on me because the person that may have caused chaos in their life, they don't have access to, but they yeah. have access to me via social media. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And, and you really are, I mean, a, a local celebrity. People know who you are. You, you're in Utah. You, you've listened to the zone. You've listened to your post game and pregame. You go to rehab 45 days. Mm -hmm. What would be the biggest revelation you learned while you're there? The ability to, um, as the kids would say, you're up in your feelings or whatever, the ability to sit in my feelings and process it and not have to numb it. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that I was able to take away. And when you're up there, you have a lot of time to just think and you work with counselors, you know, you you work in group settings and you do a lot of introspection and you just kind of review, review your entire life and say, what have I not processed in a healthy way? Because numbing feelings just means you have feelings that you haven't processed and figured out and you're not sure why. And so I was able to do, to do a lot of work with a lot of great people up there. And then ultimately, more than anything else, you just clean out. You know, you just clean out. You get, you get completely sober. And, and How long um, did it take you? I mean, how long did it take you to get sober? So my thing was alcohol. And, you know, when you look at people that are on opioids or benzos, you know, like the hard stuff, like heroin or whatever. Detox. Yeah, detoxing for them is a much more intense period. For me, it was just, it was a few days and I st kind of started to feel my receptors firing up again, which I was grateful for because then I could dig in and do the work and really right. find answers, you know, and dig deep and learn to just kind of be, you know, learn to just be. Because I don't sit still very well. You know, I'm al always looking for the next thing. And I think ultimately that's what led me to use alcohol to numb feelings because my mind would get so busy or I'd feel guilt or I'd feel shame or, I'd, you know, I'd feel like I'm just not in the right spot. Turn it off instead of process. What the rehabilitation experience allows you to do is process, you know, learn to be in your feelings, learn to identify specifically what feelings, what are you having today? What, you know, what feelings are you having today? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Okay, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. And then after you do that and you process it, you can let it go and it doesn't, it doesn't plague you anymore. But if you don't learn to process your feelings in a healthy way and then ultimately let them go, you're going to find a way to numb and escape in whatever way you possibly can. You're super close with family. Yeah. Uh-huh. Really close. Oh, absolutely. Do you think part of the anxiety and like stress that drove you to that was trying to keep up with your family? No. Um, your dad's like super, like we were, we were talking this hyper successful as yeah. a, as a super young guy, uh, by all accounts, your family's been very successful. Um, 
I mean, I'm not saying that's the blame, but do you feel like you've got to be, and by you were successful, you are successful, right? Right. I mean, you have a very successful career. Was it trying to keep up the stress of that? I don't know if that was it per se, because I've never, I mean, look, my father was uh, a chief, chief executive in the NBA 27. He was the CEO of the most powerful media conglomerate in the country or one of, um, with Madison square garden corporation at 34. If you spin your wheels trying to be that, you're going to beat your head against the wall, you know? And I, I made peace with that a long, long time ago. So it wasn't like a keeping up with the Joneses situation. Um, I mean, ultimately I was kind of thrust into a situation when I was young in high school around a lot of people that's simply, you know, drinking and using drugs was just part of the deal. That's just kind of part of what you did. And I didn't know really what I was, what, what I was in for, you know, uh, I didn't know just reaching out to kind of touch the fire a little bit would really spark a 20 year situation where it would be this big roller coaster, you know, trying to figure this thing out and then falling back into it, then trying to figure it out and falling back into it again and going, holy smokes, how did that happen? Okay, you got this, you know, get some help. And then suddenly you're back, you know, where you were years prior. Like it, it's a beast, man. It is a bear to try and deal with this thing. And so ultimately what, you, what, what I've realized that you really need to do is you got to reach out to get help. You got to talk about it. And hopefully you have a support system like mine because, you know, my, my family, are, they're, they're incredible. I have friends that are incredible. You know, I have a wonderful son who's a senior in high school who's just been an anchor for me. But a lot of people don't have that support system. But if you don't, you know, don't get lost in this cycle where you think you can do it yourself reach out, there's help available and learn to sit and process your feelings in a healthy way. And once you can do that, like my whole thing now is unconditional happiness. You know, that's what I focus on every single day because, you know, the job went away. And a lot of people I thought were my friends in the industry that treat me like I'm dead now. You know, I had to sell my house, obviously lost my license and lost my car. And so I was kind of stripped down, man, where I'm like, holy smokes, in one fell swoop, this horrible judgment in error and this damn addiction that I really haven't been able to shake entirely for the better part of 20 years cost me everything. Like it was all gone, man. And when you have those moments, you've got to find a way to dig deep inside of yourself in order to find unconditional happiness. Because Danny, you know this as well as anybody else. What we all get into in our lives is, okay, if I can find the right relationship, I'll be happy. I'd really love to have kids, then I'll be happy. If I can get the right job, I'll be happy. If I make this amount of money, then I'll be happy. And here's, here's the dirty little secret, okay? Then that happens, and if you're not in a position where you were happy without all that stuff, you're not gonna be in a position where you're happy with all with that it. stuff. You know, because life, again, is full of impermanence, okay? The money that you have today could be gone tomorrow. The relationship that you have today could be gone tomorrow. The respect that you have today could be gone tomorrow. Your life as you know it could be gone tomorrow. I mean, quite frankly, if you want to get deep into it, angel of death, your last breath could be right now. And when you acknowledge that impermanence, it allows you to be more happy within yourself in the present moment. Yeah, I was going to say in the present. Right? Yeah. yeah, in the present moment, kind of tap in, dig deep and learn to process and learn to be okay with yourself, regardless of these societal labels that we put on each other. He's a CEO. You know, he has a radio show. He's director of sales. He's a doctor. He's a lawyer. Ultimately, all these labels don't lead us to much of anything. Ultimately, what we have to do is find a way inside of ourselves to be okay and happy with who we are authentically and, as you were saying, in the present moment 
So when the abundance comes in your life, it's no different than when you were flat broke looking for the next thing, you know, to just kind of stay balanced and even throughout your entire process and, and life pattern has been my challenge as of late, because everything that I had, as far as the way I was identified, Spence Jack, Kids host of the big show, Jazz Preaf and Post, as you said, a lot of listeners, and I love my listeners, man, I never take one of them for granted, that's for sure. And they ultimately led me to decide to continue broadcasting. Yeah, I want to talk about that. But when all that is gone, and you have a moment to look around, and you go, wow, man, like, holy smokes, like, that's not around anymore. Then the challenge is to find your unconditional happiness in that space. That's a powerful thing, man. It really is. Have you been as outspoken in the last 20 years as you are now? No. About oh, no. being open? No, not it? at all. Because here's the thing. It's a very vulnerable spot. Okay. Sure. Because for all the people out there that would say, good for him, he's speaking up. That's awesome that he's trying to help. You got people on Reddit just throwing you under the bus. Well, and there are people out there that will like... I've been painted with a brush for some people and that will never go away. And I get it, okay, that, but that's all right. But there are a lot of people out there that may be new listeners, right? And then they tune in and they hear me talk about it and they'll back away and go, wait a second, he had that happen in his life? So it's a vulnerable situation to be in. But here ultimately is the goal. I saw so many good people in rehab and in jail, like legitimately good people who didn't know how to find a way out and when I, you know, when I kind of, when the dust settled and I looked around and I said, okay, because I thought I was going to find something to do, something else to do with my life. I didn't know if I was going to get back into broadcasting. But when I decided that was my, I mean, I've been doing it 15 years. It is my career. It is who I am. You know, could I do other things? Sure. I've worked outside of broadcasting in, in other areas, marketing, arena management. Like I could do other things, but this is, this is my passion. It's what I love to do. And so I made a concerted decision, a, a very intentional decision that as I go along this path, as much as I enjoy talking about the league and interviewing compelling people, I have to be very authentic and real about my struggles. And my hope is somebody out there listening to this podcast or my podcast or anything else that I'm on, if they're mired in their own personal hell of addiction, they'll find the strength to stand up and say, I've got to get well, I've got to figure out a way to do this because I'm telling you that is no way to live, man. And even if you're a functional alcoholic like I was, it's still a, a form of personal hell. You make bad decisions. You disconnect from people who you love. You don't take care of yourself. Like it is no way to live. Or the other thing is, that my hope is, is if somebody's out there listening to this and they think to themselves, I got to call my brother. I got to call my sister. My mom's got to figure it out. What can I do to help? Because if this just helps a few people, man, like then it's all worth it. That's... My, my motivation really is no longer who can break down the game the best, who has the best angle on the jazz third quarter. You know, my motivation now is trying to help people because there's standing, there's so many people that need help, man. Like so many people that need help and people are dying. Okay. Last year alone, as according to CBS news, more people died from drug and alcohol addiction than all of the Vietnam war, all of it. Okay. In one Just year, last year. Yes. Alone. And that's how many people were losing to this. So when I pound the desk and say, can we please wake up? Can our conscience wake up as a society? I mean it because this is a desperate thing that too many people ignore because it is uncomfortable to talk about and people are embarrassed and ashamed because of the stigma that's been put on them, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's there, but if we can talk about it and be decent to each other, be good to each other through the process, we can start healing and ultimately save people 
and save lives, but also, you know, because because the people that aren't passing away are on their way to that situation sure. and they're miserable while they're doing it. And that's where I was at. And so the whole goal is like, if people see that I was able to get up and dust myself off and continue on in my life, my hope is they will do the same thing because a mistake like this, a, a serious error in judgment like this, where you lose everything, a lot of people allow that to let them, you know, shrink away into oblivion, never to be heard from again. And their quality of life is never the same. And what I want to say to those people is I've never been happier. I've never been healthier. I've never felt better. And the irony in that is I don't have the dream job. I don't have the house. I don't have the car. I don't have those things that I had that should have been enough for me. But Danny, for whatever reason, they weren't. That's deep, man. Yeah. Like, that's really deep. Yeah. Because you lost everything. You're the most happy you've ever been. Yeah. So I want to talk about this uh, podcast you just launched. You told me you were launching it. You launched it and, it and it trended up at like top 50 or top 40 on Apple iTunes. It's called Reality Check. Kind of focused on sports, right? But yeah. you, have, you have other conversations. I've listened to it. I, it's really, really good. Um, this is kind of your, this is your baby. Yeah. Right? You're putting a lot of energy and focus into this now. Tell us about it. Yeah. So we, um, we thought that we would chart at some point, but after our trailer, we, we charted as high as 36 on Apple iTunes um, in the sports and recreation was, department. Was that because you had a huge following? Yeah, oh, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's because of the built-in equity I had for 15 years in the business. And look, man, as many people, you know, as many people who are out there that are really mad at me and are like, screw that guy. What a selfish a-hole. Like, I'm never listening to him again. I have so many people who are like, we just want you to get well. Yeah, you've got a lot of fans. Yeah, we just want you to get better. We miss you. And when I started getting those videos, I'm like, you know, I've got to find a way to get back on air. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know how. Um, but I've got to find a way to do it for these people that keep reaching out to say, we miss you. We miss you. And that's what made me realize I still have a voice. I, can, I still have talent. I'm still good at this. Okay. And so my whole goal is to just find compelling people in and around the NBA and sports. I mean, it's an NBA centric podcast, but it's also focused on lifestyle, but ultimately fascinating individuals, coaches, players, broadcasters, executives. And I want them to tell their story in a very authentic way. Because when, you know, back to the original theme, which is just try to help some people out when you're lost in this thing, when you're lost in this valley and like, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know where my direction is. And if you hear that a Quinn Snyder has gone through his stuff and how did he do it? Then you say, you know, maybe Quinn and I aren't all that different. He's one of the best head coaches in the NBA, but wow, he was in a rough spot and look at how he traversed his way through. Because if your thing isn't alcohol or drugs, chances are it's something else, something else that causes you some sort of mental disturbance that you need to find a way to get around, you know? So, so the whole goal is to, to find compelling people and just have them tell their stories. And we'll talk about the league, we'll break down the stories, you know, we'll, I'll do what I've always done to, to gain the fan base that I've been able to gain. But my ultimate goal is to sit down with people, have them tell their stories. I, like my whole motivation now is no longer, how do I chase paper? You know, how do I chase downloads? Like when I get a message from somebody who says, you know, my, my son or my daughter is an alcoholic and I heard you talk today and now I know that I can authentically talk to them and get them help. That's all I need, man. You know, that's ultimately the motivation for this thing. I want people to see that I was able to get up. I was able to dust myself off and say, I'm not going to let this thing beat me because it can be a bear. 
And there are days where you feel like, holy smokes, what are you doing? And I want to, I want them to hear other people tell their stories, people who they respect and trust when they're watching the game, the players they see, the coaches they see, and bring these stories into the consciousness of the public. That's your mission now. Yeah. A year ago, your mission was stats. It was, you know, this player did this and this player, this coach did that. Right. Now it's, it's completely, it's completely changed. It's, it's just, I mean, ultimately then at the end of the day, and you know, this is an entrepreneur, Danny, like you just want to do on a daily basis, what motivates you the most and drives you do what you love. And as much as I love watching games, as much as I, as much as I love breaking down the league, as much as I, I loved what I was doing, the motivation and the drive is different now. You're completely realigned. Yeah. I, like just, I can I, tell. I, I just want to help. And um, I don't know what that means for the future of this thing because it's a different angle, you know, and, and that was my main goal. Like, because there are tens of thousands of podcasts that you can listen to today that will talk about the offensive rating of the San Antonio Spurs in the third quarter. And I can do that for with, you if you want. little to no long-term impact on things. Right. right? And I can do that for done. you if you want. But what I would much rather do is find compelling storytellers in and around this league to tell people their stories of how they were able to do it. And not just how they were able to be a great player or a great coach, but personally how they were able to get over their own alcoholism. Yeah. If that's not the term, yeah. then there's another term. How were they able to get through their own perils and ultimately not just participate in a sport, but become a titan of industry and again, my motivation are those people that don't know how to get out of their own way and to let them know you can do it. You know, just keep going, keep climbing. Even, even on those days where you feel like the walls are closing in, especially on those days, keep climbing, keep going, you know. I love it. You've got a really, really good podcast. I've listened to a few of the episodes. Uh, you go into in, in depth on some stories that your family had gone through that, you know, some of the stuff is just incredible. Like it, it really is, it kind of sports is in there, but it's, it's much, it's much deeper than just sports. Sure. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to follow you or kind of see what you're doing or, or find your podcast? So it's easy just on social media. I'm a Twitter, Instagram guy, and it's just at Spence Checkets. Um, I tweet out all the links. It's reality check with Spence Checkets. If you want to Google search it, don't Google search Spence Jackets. You'll find Reddit <laughs> threads, apparently. But Reality Check Spence Jackets. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Stitcher, all that stuff. Or wherever you get your favorite podcast. You know, that's where we're at, wherever you find your shows. Um, but yeah, on my socials is probably the best way to do it. And I just blast out the links and download, subscribe, and come along for the ride. You know, It really is good content. So if you're, if you're interested in learning... Uh, some more and listening to another great podcast. Check out Reality Check by Spence Checkets. He was our guest today on Shake the Earth Podcast. Spence, you're shaking the earth. You probably didn't think you would be at this point, but you are. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it.